0: Good morning everybody, or I should say, Jai Masi, which means victory in Christ, and it is how the Christian Church in Nepal greet each other. Um, For those who don't know me, um, I'm Shirley Hayward, I'm a gynaecologist, and I've been working in Nepal for the last 13 years, and I really want to thank you for this weekend, for the welcome that I've received, for the stories you've shared with me, um, for the good things that I've enjoyed and I also thank you very much for your support, which enables me to go, I hope, back again if I get another visa. Um, so I'm working with the International Nepal Fellowship. It's a Christian interdenominational mission that's been working in Nepal since the borders opened. Um, and it's mostly doing health and development work. We now have Nepali leadership, but we still, they still, if the government allows, have expats who try and contribute a little bit to develop the work. Next one. So, this is where Nepal is, if you don't know. It's a little landlocked country tucked in between China and India. And we have the highest mountains, and we have the deepest valleys, and we have the hot, dusty plains where it borders India. It's a very, very beautiful and challenging country to live in. INF has been there now for 63 years, and it's now got centers working all over the western half of the country, um, doing mostly community work and clinical work. The clinical side that I'm mostly involved in, and my centre is INF Surkhet, over there in the Midwest region, but I have travelled to all these other areas. Um, We do clinical work, we do leprosy work, helping people who've had leprosy to be rehabilitated and to look after their nerveless, numb hands and feet and deal with complications we do rehabilitation for people with spinal cord injuries and other disabilities Um, and we do work for what i'm involved in now i work with the government hospitals trying to help them to improve the care for women all over the region but more especially now since 2008 i've been working to provide a service where there isn't a service in this half of the country, for women who suffer from a condition called obstetric fistula. And that's a condition that results from an injury through a very prolonged labor, where a woman is having a baby that just doesn't fit. And in a part of the country where there are very, very few services to help you, there are women who labor all day, for two days, three days, even up to ten days, and get terrible injuries that leave them incontinent for the rest of their lives in a society that doesn't understand why, with health workers who don't know why. um, And they are outcasts from their families and their homes. And it can be repaired, in most cases, by surgery. So I've been working to do education for health workers. I've been working to do education in communities and to build up a team. And then every year we do a small camp to do surgery for three weeks of the year. And we have a vision which we hope will come to fruition soon to build a centre attached to the government hospital where we can treat these people throughout the year whenever they come. Have a place where we can have a team who understands, who gives the expert care they need and also deals with the counselling, the depression, the hurt that they've received and provides a refuge where when they are cured and hopefully then expecting another baby they can come to have a safe delivery and actually have a complete family life again so that's what i'm doing that's what you're helping me to do now i came 2 years ago so you know all about nepal so there's a little quiz <laughs> how well do you know nepal we'll just go through quickly so give you an idea just true or false please call out false. it's true <laughs> but they're on the edge of rivers next one The staple food in Nepal is this chapati flatbread. What is it? False. False. Very good. It's rice. Every day, twice a day, if you're rich enough. Rice and lentils. True or false? Most people in Nepal are farmers. Easy one. True. Absolutely right. They're subsistence farmers. True or false? Most of the population... Oh, yes. Nepal. Chickens, goats, and pigs on the bus? Absolutely They go on the bus. True or false? It's against the law to ride on the roof of the bus. How do you know? (laughs) It's true. It's absolutely true, but they do it. And before a check check post, the bus stops and everyone gets off. True or false? The main religion in Nepal is Buddhism. It's false. You know all about it. It's Hinduism. 80% of the country are Hindus. True or false? The most common cause of spinal cord injury that we treat is falling out of a tree. Anyone? Apart from Gary? It's true. They have to go up trees. In the winter when nothing else is growing, they cut down leaves for their animals to feed their animals. But they also, if you go back just a minute, can you go back? You also get people who come and say, how did this happen to you? I fell out of my field. (laughs) Okay, next one. True or false, there's no longer any new cases of leprosy being reported. False, afraid so. They say it's eradicated, but we're still getting new cases. True or false, only the wealthiest Nepalis can eat beef. It's another trick one. It's false. It's a Hindu country, and the cow is worshipped, so it's illegal to kill them. True or false. There was no church in Nepal until 1953. It's true. It's true. There were no Christians before. In, in, there was years back, there was a small Catholic mission went through, but then they banned Christians in the country, so there was no church until 1953. In Nepal, since the first church began, Christians have always been free to meet together and worship God. False, absolutely. At the the beginning, there was a lot of persecution and people went, it was illegal to change your religion. People then who were baptized, those who baptized them went to prison. And that's it. Okay, we did very well, especially Gary. Okay, I asked for the reading from Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, most of it, which is, if I just remind you, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, consider him, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Everybody has a bad day sometimes, and it is no different for Christians who work cross culturally than for those who are called to serve God in their own home country. When you chose to follow Jesus, you set out on a journey. I remember as a medical student in this country, a fellow student who said to me, you Christians need your religion as a crutch. Well, it is indeed wonderful to know the power and the love of God in our lives, but it is very hard to carry a cross if you're on crutches. And that's what we are called to do when we follow Jesus. We all have a race marked out for us and I expect that like me, you sometimes do grow weary and are tempted to lose heart if your gaze drifts away from Jesus. And in all our lives, there are mountains and valleys. the mountains? Mountains and valleys, joys and sorrows. And maybe living in a Himalayan country, the mountains seem that little bit higher sometimes, and the valleys a lot deeper. Today, I want to share with you some of the hard things, as well as the delights of my life. So first about the joys, the moments on the summit and really one of the biggest is being part of the Nepali church, being in a place where the kingdom is growing rapidly and it's very exciting. The story of how God has built his church in Nepal is inspiring and it's a very humbling reminder actually that it's a work that God's doing and that we have a relatively small part in it and we're simply privileged to be there to help him sometimes. So 64 years ago, there were no Christians in this little closed Hindu kingdom of about 8 million people then. But God called Nepali Christians and missionaries who were living in India to be ready. And they faithfully prayed on the border for years so that when the country opened, they were ready and able to move in. And one group moved into Pokhara, another group moved into um, Kathmandu and established the church, and the group that went into Pokhara also built the first hospital outside Kathmandu. Nepal really had no services and was totally undeveloped if you were outside Kathmandu at that time. God planted the vision, and he timed it to precision, even though the fulfillment of the vision was lots of years on before they actually got in. And over the decades since then, many, many Nepalis have turned away from idol worship and and trusted in Jesus and in the early days there was a lot of persecution and they went to prison for their faith they lost jobs they were turned out of their families but they continued to hold on and the church grew often through miracles and amazing things that god did and through the witness and the word of those nepali christians now my friend bishnu is an example really of how god plants his church bishnu lived in jumla and i met her there She was just 19, and she was suffering from a huge and very aggressive ovarian cancer. It had already spread and caused a lot of problems, and I didn't think there was much hope, but Vishnu wanted to live. And I had funds that people gave me to help send patients who needed advanced treatment somewhere. And so I sent her to Kathmandu, where she was supported by a Christian organization, church-based, while she was undergoing horrendous treatment with radical surgery and with chemotherapy. And they have, in the, around their church, they have little rooms where they sort of give people accommodation and they look after them. They go with them to hospitals because these people know no one in Kathmandu. They'll sit with them, they'll pray with them if they want to be prayed with, and they help them through all that so they don't worry about money and anything like that. And they blessed Bishnu and cared for her through that treatment and she became a Christian. And she learned a lot through, she was there quite a while. And she was baptised in a barrel because there wasn't a lot of water. And finally she went home to Jumla, where she led her young husband to the Lord. Over the past nine years, she's had to return to Kathmandu four times. She's had to undergo further chemotherapy and surgery when she had hope that that was it. Three times she returned home again well and full of praise and eager to tell others and she went round her village and she went to neighboring villages, and there's now a church in her village. The fourth visit brought different news the tumor had spread, and there was no more that could be done. And I was in Kathmandu when she had that last checkup, and I was the one who broke the news to her that there was going to be no more treatment. Bishnu, who's then still only about 29, was very calm and we talked together about all that she had suffered through the cancer and through the treatment that she'd undergone but also about the wonders that God had done in her and through her and we prayed together and a few days later she went home to prepare herself and her family, the little boy she adopted and the church for what was to come. Vishnu died in November last year she was the first Christian to die in Jumla. We're living in a very early church. Goma from the church in Kathmandu, who was her friend and her mother in Christ, managed to get to Jumla within 24 hours, and that is a miracle. So she was there as they buried Vishnu, wondering what this would have done to their faith. And she found the church grieving but their faith was unshaken and they spoke about Bishnu's life as a seed that God had planted from, when the, from which their church had grown. So this is how the church people tell their stories with great joy and excitement and the church grows and over the past 20 years Nepal has gone through civil war it's gone through massive political upheaval it's become a secular state that brought some freedom with it so even now Christmas Day is now a public holiday and people can gather together even if it's you know schools closed the kids can go and celebrate Christmas with the parents in church and other people come to see what it's all about um, but there is a strong anti-Christian move- movement still and they're trying to make it illegal again so there will be I think tougher days coming for the church but the Christians that I've spoken to say we've been to prison before, we'll go again if we have to and we can't stop talking about Jesus. Now, I have to keep an eye on Gary because our services last about three hours (laughs) and the sermon's at least an hour so he's going to do this. (laughs) It is a great joy to be accepted As a member of the Nepali Church, it's a privilege. It is really one of the great joys, I think, of working in another culture because it makes you challenge what you believe and think is just normal. It makes you look at things in a different way and different things that are important. It is a privilege. Um, There are more joys, just quickly. It's a very simple lifestyle, you know. I mean, mobile phones have got nearly everywhere, but the networks haven't. And you don't travel a long way to work or go in a tube or anything. You know, you just walk or go on your bike. You watch your food growing. There may be no labour-saving gadgets, but there are people who are eager to come and work for you and they become your friends. There's no boring bits, no ruts that you get stuck in. There's always challenges around the corner. That can sometimes be part of the sorrows. And then... Because of that, you experience or I have experienced God's presence and his grace in new ways that I've never experienced while I've been at home and I've got friends just there to rely on. Um, I've had, since I got to Nepal, partly through because I became a doctor called to Nepal, such an assurance that God has a purpose and a plan for my life. And that helps even when it's tough and it doesn't seem to be going well. And then there's knowing about prayer support from home and feeling partnership with the supporters. And I hope we can do a Skype sometime. Um, The people who do pray and support and encourage and give so that the work in Nepal can go on. I meet people, we've got eight different nationalities in our expatriate team in Nepal. That's a challenge, but it's also a joy. And I'm lucky because basically when we're not speaking Nepali, we speak English. But I've got—I f- mean, I've worked with a doctor for three years. She's Dutch, and English was very much a second language to her, and she never got to speak in her home language because we didn't have another Dutch person. But we serve as- alongside people who have the same vision, and they're passionate about bringing in the kingdom. We're part of INF, which has had a very exciting history, and then there is the joy for me of the work and the opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. Women who've been really. Terribly damaged and seeing them go home with hope again. So the joys are very real and they're very wonderful. But as you know, life isn't all joy. And you all know experience sorrow and disappointment. And Jesus didn't promise us it would be all joy. Sometimes the valleys seem very deep. So if you're cross-culturally, one of the big valleys is actually the distance from friends and family. Partings don't get any easier. My mum's 83 now, and it's always really hard to leave her. And also, you feel a bit uncomfortable and disconnected, not really belonging in this culture when you come back. But again, when you go to Nepal, I don't feel totally part of the culture. There's always things that you don't understand. It's 2073 there, It was New Year's Day on April the 14th. They get... (laughs) Just working out the date can be difficult, you know. Um, But it is, especially in the changeover times, you feel confused, disorientated. There are a lot of frustrations as well as joys in work. There's challenges and they sometimes seem overwhelming. Misunderstandings, not just because of the language, but just because you really don't understand the culture. Nepalis don't show their feelings a lot. If they're angry, it's sometimes hard to tell they're angry. And if we're angry, they think we're way over the top. So I work in a lovely team who do understand me. That's quite good. In the early days especially, it was very hard that I had to work and manage without the colleagues and the equipment and the support that I've been used to. And so you see people die who you know could be saved if you had the facilities you have here and that's a struggle. You have to put up with lack of power, lack of water, sometimes lack of the medicines that you want to. We have 12 hours of power cuts a day for most of the year, and most of that's in the daytime. I told you that for the fistula work, I I have a vision, which other people helped me to develop, for a fistula center. About the second camp, we advertised it, and we had patients come, But when we'd finished the camp and we'd sort of put down the facilities and we couldn't go on, we still had people coming. One woman walked four days and we had to say sorry next year. And she walked four days back. She came back the next year and she's cured now. But it's terrible and we want to be able to offer care. We ought to be able to offer training throughout the year. When the vision was born in 2011, it looked as if it was going to happen really quickly. The hospital superintendent was really keen. They were building a new hospital, which isn't finished yet either, which he thought the fistula centre should be part of. Um, That hospital isn't built. He's been moved on. Um, So then he said, well, you need to find the funding. Well, I've got wonderful donors very happy to pay for treatment, but not so keen to build buildings, and we've only just found a donor. There's also, I am not my own boss, I work under Nepali management, and over the last three years we've had three major management reshuffles, which means there's a new team at the top, and they look at all the plans and things that are happening, and they worry whether this is the right plan, whether we should have a fistula centre, whether it should just be an INF fistula, or as planned, be partnership with the government. And then they get to looking at Dr Shirley and wondering what's going to happen if Dr. Shirley leaves, and we've committed all this to building a fistula centre, well, Dr. Shirley has no plans to leave. But I do have issues with age, with my eyes, and now with visas. So it is still a journey of faith. And sometimes I, have, I walk around with a card which says, faith in God includes faith in his timing. And sometimes I don't think he's getting it right. So, anyway, two years ago, we had, we had the plans ready. And we thought we were going to get money quickly through the German government. Well, it finally came through in November. But I don't know if you know, in November, we got our new, new constitution. Then we had protests, we had a border blockade, so everything stopped in Nepal for, for, for months. No, nothing came through from India where we get everything. We had no petrol, we had no gas for cooking, we had no medicines coming in, we had no building materials. And so we, we had the money, but we couldn't start. Now the borders are open and we don't have visas and all the expats are out. There are now no INF expats in Nepal at the moment until we actually finalise our agreement so progress is happening towards the vision, but it's so slow. There's other problems, the climate, it's the monsoon now. I don't know if you've lived through a monsoon, you might think you are. But everything goes mouldy, it really goes mouldy, and you get tired of wading through mud. And then in the winter it's so cold, in the offices and things, you have to go outside to try and warm out, warm up again. Cultural differences... People have different ideas about privacy, about personal space, about spitting on the floor. Your colleagues change. I've gone through so many friends who become close and then they go away and you have to keep going. It's exhausting, you have to make new friends and you have to grieve for the ones that have gone. You see poverty every day and that's exhausting. You work in another language all day, that takes it out of you. You have to travel, it's risky, it's uncomfortable, it's tiring, it doesn't always happen. But above all, there's like, you God, you called me here. You gave me this vision. I'm really excited about it. But when is it going to happen? And am I going to be there to see it happen? So there's another little bit of reading. Jesus, after feeding the 5,000, he told the disciples to get in the boat and go over to the other side while he went off to pray. And you know what happened. I mean, they were rowing and they were rowing and they were rowing and the wind was against them, and they weren't getting anywhere, you know? And they were right where Jesus had told them to be, but they weren't getting anywhere. And Jesus came towards them, walking on the water. And We tend to, I got a reading from Oswald Chambers, who writes, my utmost for his highest, or he did, he's gone now, he's in heaven. But we tend to think, he says, that if Jesus Christ compels us to do something, and we are obedient to him, He will lead us to great success. But we should never have that thought, that our dreams of success are what God wants for us. In fact, his purpose may be the very opposite. So what is my vision of God's purpose for me? Well, whatever it is, his purpose is for me to depend on him and on his power now. And if I can stay calm, faithful and unconfused while in the middle of the turmoil of life, which I don't, but that's what he wants, the goal of God is being accomplished in me. What he desires is for me that I see him walking on the sea with no shore, no success, no goal in sight, but simply having the absolute certainty that everything is all right because I see him walking on the sea. God's purpose is to enable me to see that he can walk on the storms of my life right now and if we realise that moment by moment obedience is the goal then each moment as it comes is precious so come storms, come mountaintops or valleys the way to not weary and to lose heart is to keep our eyes fixed on him and just one last thought from the passage in Hebrews that has been a blessing to me through a sermon by Tim Keller, a preacher in New York. I listen to a lot of taped sermons because they're in English. He asks, what was the joy that was set before Jesus that enabled him to endure all the agony and the shame of the cross? And I'd always just thought, well, that means he was going to go to heaven again. He was going to sit down at the right hand of God. He was going to have all that worship and glory and honor. But Keller points out that that was something that Jesus had already known. It was what he left to come. He was always part of the fellowship and the love of the Trinity. And he left all that when he came to earth. Maybe especially, well definitely especially when he was cut off from the Father as he carried our sins on the cross. And he took our punishment. Heaven was his home. So this can't really be the joy that he was looking forward to when he came to face and and came to earth. And Keller proposes that the joy that was set before him was us. It was you and me who were outside all hope of, of being part of the Father, but that we were brought in through his death into the fellowship of the Trinity. He loved us so much that he could endure the cross looking forward to the joy of welcoming us as his brothers and sisters. And I don't know about you, but for me, there's no greater encouragement to keep keeping going when I really want to pack it in sometimes, but to look at Jesus and all he's done for me. And to remember that I am tired, grumpy, bad-tempered. I am really, really precious to him. And that my love and obedience bring him joy. Amen.